are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. The carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day, was based on a poem by a guy whose name was Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And, uh, and he wrote the, the song, and it starts like this. You, you, you want to join me? I heard the bells on Christmas Day. The old familiar carols play. And of peace on earth, good will to men. Maybe not one of the more familiar numbers, huh? Here's what's interesting about Longfellow, okay? So we'll have to get together here at some point, right? His life was anything but filled with peace. Two years prior to him writing the song in 1863, his wife was killed in a tragic fire. And then the year that he wrote the the poem, his son joined the Union Army during the Civil War against his wishes. In fact, that was the setting. It was during the Civil War on Christmas Day that these words came to his mind. And so you can imagine what we were like as a nation in 1863 during the Civil War. There were many battles being fought. People were losing their lives. Our nation was anything but at peace. There was hate. There was strife. There was great division. It was literally the North against the South. And so Wadsworth finally, Longfellow finally comes to this place where he just, with, with great despair, he He says this in the third stanza. He says, And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. You know what he was really saying? He was saying what you say a lot. This wasn't how life was supposed to be. This wasn't what I'd hoped for. Surely this isn't what God had intended, right? What he was saying was, this is not what we had dreamed or hoped would happen one day. Something has gone terribly wrong. And, and I just got to level with you because when I think about Longfellow, I, I relate to his words. I think about just the nation that I live in, the United States of America. And I think about all the tension that we live with. Strife, not peace. A lot of hate, not peace. I think about racial tension. I think about political tension. And I think you could probably just keep naming a long list. We had this awesome gift of social media. That really its design was to bring us together. But instead, it's dividing us more. It's making the lines that separate us much more bold. And so what could have been a gift we have terribly misused. And now it is creating great divisions among us. And, and maybe it's because I was in Israel last summer, and maybe it's because I got kind of this front row seat to this whole understanding of this Palestinian-Israeli conflict. And I realized that that's not only happened in Israel, but those kind of conflicts are happening all over the world. And I want to say with Longfellow, there is no peace on earth. I think what happens is that, that we ask three questions in all of life. You you probably wouldn't say, you know, I can tell you what those are. But when I say them, you'll probably say, yep, I do the same thing. I ask those three questions. We ask ourselves, how was life supposed to be? And the second question we ask is, so what went wrong? 
And the third question is, can it be fixed? Is there any hope? Or are we just left in our fear? And so we've been studying Isaiah in this Advent series. And with Isaiah and the people of Israel, they, they're not at peace. They've got this enemy, the Assyrians, that are poised, ready to come and take them out, cut them down completely. But we also know that they have become their own worst enemy. That they have rebelled against God, they've turned against God, and they have made their own lives miserable. And so if you ask the question about Israel, so how was it supposed to be? Well, I can take you back to Genesis 12 and God says to Abraham, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless you, man. I'm going to make you great. I'm going to bless this nation that I raise up through you. And then I'm going to bless all of the peoples of the earth through you. That's how it was supposed to be. He said, well, what went wrong? They broke their covenant with God. Their land was full of idols. Religion was only formal. Ethical standards were low. Moral fiber was lacking. And they were, number two, oppressing the poor. They kept their foot on the neck of the poor person and never treated them with justice. And Isaiah said, God is going to judge you. Is there any hope for Israel? Well, there is this talk that I'm going to share with you today about a new king, about a Messiah, the Son of God, who is going to come and offer hope again to the nation. But before I do, I got a feeling that there are many people in this room who would say, my life is not what it was supposed to be, Pastor Rick. My life is not working out like I thought it would. Things didn't happen for me like I thought they should. This is not what I envisioned when I thought about my future. And if I said to you what went wrong, you would name me throughout the room a list of things. Everything from divorce to relationships that has gone sour to we never thought this would happen to one of our kids or one of our family members to sickness or disease or some diagnosis has come into our lives. And the question we're left with is, is there any hope for you? Or are you left to live in your fear? So here's what I've been praying. I've been praying that you would leave today feeling hopeful. That you would find hope in your current situation. So let me take you to the screen to the book of Isaiah chapter 11 verse 1. You ready? So here's the hope that Isaiah offers. He says, I know things are bad. I know the Assyrians are on the move. I know they're going to take you down. But one day they will withdraw. And when they do, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. <laughs> I don't know why. I kind of laugh when I read those words. I think they sound kind of funny. Uh, but they also sound very hopeful. And in a minute, you're going to love those words more than you ever thought you would. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots. Who is Jesse anyway? He is the father of King David. Meaning that a Savior, the Messiah, will come from David's line. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will only want what God wants, and he won't judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but this Jesus, this Messiah, this Son of God, with righteousness, he will judge the needy. 
Because God's always concerned about the poor, right? With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. However, with the wicked, listen to this, he will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. And righteousness will be his belt and faithfulness, the sash around his waist. What does that mean? It means that he will always do what's right in every situation without fail. We uh, were out of town, and Nat and I, a few years ago, after we'd moved here to Oklahoma City, we didn't know about ice storms. But we got a call while we were out of town that you'd had a major ice storm here and that our yard was filled with tree limbs. And sure enough, man, when we drove into our house, we driveway, we were, we were shocked at what we saw. And so we had this Bradford pear in our front yard, all right? And it was not a real large tree, pretty good size. It had been there maybe 10, 11 years at this point. And, uh, and when the ice storm hit, the Bradford pear actually split in two all the way down through the trunk. So we had some people who know about trees to come over, and they looked at it and they said, that tree is gone. It's not going not to ever look good, be good again. You've got to take it out. So we called somebody and asked them to come and remove the tree, and they did. And then they came back like two days later with what they called the stump grinder, and they ground the stump down to pass the earth, and they threw dirt over it, and the tree was gone. We thought. And then the spring of the year came, and the grass got green, and the sun came out. And all of a sudden, out of that spot where that tree was, these little shoots started shooting up, you know? You seen that before? I couldn't make them go away. I would go out and I'd try to pull them up and you couldn't. I'd cut them off. They didn't help. I finally started spraying stuff on them. It really didn't kill them. Finally, one day I just got so aggravated. I just went out with my weed eater and just, you know, just cut it down, you know. But they kept coming back. You know what they're called? Shoots. Shoots. And so Isaiah is saying, because you will not repent, Israel, and follow God. The Assyrians are going to come and cut you down like a tree. How can this be? What do you mean? Israel's going to be gone? The Assyrians are going to take Israel out? Yeah, like a tree standing, there's Israel, and one day it's just going to be gone. And, and that's what happened. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. I mean, Israel is supposed to be blessed, and then they're going to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth, and all the peoples of the earth are going to hear this good news through Israel, right? Isn't that what God promised Abraham he was going to do? But then Isaiah says, when they withdraw, and when they move out of Israel, the Assyrians, there will be a shoot that will come from the stump of Jesse. I brought a picture because I thought this would help. Okay, here it is on the screen for you. That's what he's talking about. That's the image. There's a stump. The tree's been cut down. Israel is gone. It used to stand. Now it's fallen to the ground. But out of that old stump, God is going to bring new life. He's going to bring a king who is going to come. And he's going to change the world. 
Now see, I, I don't know about you, I love this stuff because what it is, it's about hope. It's the kind of hope that you and I are looking for in our lives. Because just when you've been cut down, right? Just when you don't feel hopeful anymore. Just when you feel like you've had about all you can take. Just when you feel like I'm barely standing here. God speaks. And he says, you're still my people and I still love you. And regardless of your sin, I'm still going to speak to the whole world through you. And I got a feeling. There's a few folks in the room who are saying, Rick, that's where I'm living right now. I feel like I've been cut down. My heart's heavy. I don't feel very hopeful. And I'm just waiting for God to speak. Now see, here's, here's what's happening. And, and I want to challenge you because, because the enemy would have you think this way. And I don't want you to think this way because this is not what we're finding in the Scripture today. You might say, okay, if there's a person over here and they're dealing with cancer, they didn't cause that. They didn't bring it on themselves. They feel like they've been cut down. The treatments are just wearing them out. They're physically exhausted. They're carrying a heavy load every day of their lives. They're just trying to get through. And, and I want God to come and speak into their life. And I want God to raise them up and bring life where there has been all of that chemo and stuff and death in their life. But, but Pastor Rick, it's, it's not my story. You see, I, I cause my own problems. I made bad decisions. I've been, I've been living in sin. I've been doing what's wrong. And, and I've got myself where I am. It's because of what I've done that I'm where I am today. And I don't feel like I deserve God's grace. But you've got to understand, that's where the people of Israel were. They turned their back on God. They walked away. They were worshiping idols. They were doing everything but loving God. And you know what God says to them? But you're still mine. And I still love you. And I still have a plan for your life. And I still want to use you. And I'm not going to turn my back on you just because you turned your back on me. I'm going to bring new life into you. I'm going to raise something up. I'm going to do something new in you. Just like I did for the people of Israel. You know, you meet some interesting people in life. And, um, and there's a guy back at the church in, in Cincinnati that Annette and I moved here from. His name, his name was Paul Powell. And, and I've talked to you about him before. He, uh, he was, at one point, I guess he would have called himself a hippie. Um, I don't know what he would call himself today. When I met him, he was in his 70s already. He had been very successful in business, and he was very generous with his money. Just a, a very unique guy. But he, he spoke and talked like nobody I've ever been around in my life. He was 100% himself. He never tried to be anybody else. So the very first day that I met him... I went to church on a Sunday morning. About four guys came to me and said, can we pray for you before you preach? And I said, yes. We go back into this little room. This first guy prays, a typical prayer. The next guy prays. And then Paul prays like this. Hey, man, it's me. That was his way of saying, our Father who art in heaven. All right? Can you do me a favor this morning? He's praying for me, okay? Would you keep the funky devil off the Mr. Preacher Man today? So that, that was his prayer. One of the most genuine prayers I've ever heard in my life. And, 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 and I love to talk about him because he just, you know, he, he never got anybody's name down. He just gave you a name. Like, I was the Mr. Preacher Man. And my wife, Annette, she was the Mrs. Preacher Lady. 
And we had a kid who had long hair. His name was Jeremy. But he called him Sam, like short for Samson. That's all he ever called him. We had a guy named Clay, Barclay. He called him Clay, but he's called his wife Mrs. Clay, you know. His own wife, his own wife's name was Brenda, but she was short, so he called her Minnie all of his life. And so one day, Paul, you know, learned he had cancer. And I remember him calling me on the phone one day, and he said, Hey, Mr. Preacher, man, I wish I could have gotten cancer sooner. I think I would have done more for Jesus. Who, who thinks like that? He calls me one day. He was so excited. Hey, Mr. Preacher Man, it's the old painter man. That's the way he talked because he had a painting company. Hey, I just got my next gig from the big guy in the sky. How cool is this, man? They took me in there and showed me where I was going to do chemo. So, so here's my gig. I get, to, I get to share Jesus with all the antiques right before they check out. How cool is that? I'm not making any of this up. You can't make this stuff up. So once in a while, I'll remember something that Paul said to me. And just this week it happened. I hadn't thought of this in years. And one day he says to me, hey, Mr. Preacher Man, you know, you know Big Earn used to be a policeman, right? Now, Big Earn was Ernie Hodges, and he was a big man, tall, broad-shouldered, and he did. He used to, I said, yeah, I remembered. I heard that he used to be a policeman. Ernie was older now. He was in his 70s, like Paul. And he says, you know what, Mr. Preacher Man? I said, no. He said, Big Earn used to arrest me. And I said, really? He said, yeah, man, I would be crazy and stuff. And the other cops, they would just wait till Big Earn got there because I was always messing around and stuff, but I couldn't mess with him. He was too big. I said, really? I, di I didn't know that. He goes, you want to know what's cool, Mr. Preacher Man? I said, yeah. And he said, after Jesus got in my heart, me and my family and Big Earn and his family we would go to a restaurant on Sunday after church and eat lunch together. How cool is that now? I said, oh, I, I love that, Paul. Think about it. He used to arrest him and put him in jail, and now on Sundays they go to lunch together. It kind of reminds me of the story that we heard last week about Pastor Thaddeus Black, a former drug dealer, and Rick Rains, a former FBI agent who now hang out together and are friends. It's like people from opposing sides begin to live in peace with one another. So you got to hang on to that because something is happening here that's huge, okay? And what's happening is that Isaiah says there is this new king that's coming, and he's unlike any other king that Israel has ever known. He will be full of understanding and he will be full of wisdom and counsel and might and the fear and the knowledge of God. And he will treat the poor with justice and he will bring judgment on the wicked and he will be full of righteousness and faithfulness, meaning he will always do everything right in every situation. But listen to this. The result is going to be peace. What are you talking about? Let me take you back to the picture, okay? Back to the uh, slide. And here's what the next few verses are. It will look like this when the new king comes. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. Uh, let me tell you, any leopard I've ever seen is going to eat the goat, okay? The calf and the lion and the yearling together. This is going to blow you away. And a little child will lead them. What is a kid hanging out with a leopard and a lion for? 
and the cow will feed with the bear. Have you ever been around a bear? Have you ever met a bear that didn't like a good ribeye? Their young will lie down together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. Listen to these words. The infant will play near the cobra's den. What? And the young child will put its hand into the viper's nest. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord. What do you mean filled with the knowledge of the Lord? Just like the waters cover the sea. That's what I mean. Do you understand the picture that's being painted? When this new king comes, there will be peace. The predator and the prey will live in peace together. The Garden of Eden will be restored Listen to me. What he's saying is people who are opposed to one another will live in peace. Rick, what are you saying? Are you saying that like the uh, Palestinians and the Israelites will start getting along? No, I I mean bigger than that. I mean the Republicans and the Democrats are going to start getting along. I'm talking big here, okay? So some of you are saying, whoa, 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 time, 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 time. Sit on your stool for a minute, okay? What's on your mind? You're saying, I, I, I'm not feeling it. What do you mean you're not feeling it? Well, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. And I'm stuck with Longfellow at the beginning of the sermon. There is no peace on earth, I said. I, I, I don't see the peace you're talking about. I see hate. I see division. I see strife. I live like you do with the same tension of saying the kingdom of heaven has come near. (laughs) The kingdom of God is being established on earth right now. That peace is occurring right now, but not yet. Or at least not fully, and not fully until Christ comes again. But here's what I see. I see glimpses of it all around me. I see it with Paul Powell and Big Earn. I see it with Thaddeus Black and Rick Rains. I see it when somebody gets healed of a disease. I see it when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus. And now they're not filled with hate anymore. Now they just want to love the person beside them. I see it happening down at Two Lakes. When I get there this afternoon, a bunch of people who are saying, let's just love these people with all of our hearts and let's see peace come to this community. I see it breaking out all around me. I want to tell you one story and then I will sit down. And don't say amen when I say stuff like that. (laughs) Back this summer when I was in Israel, on our 10th day there, our last day, we are driving most of the afternoon from the north to the south. We're driving down the west bank along the Jordan River. Now, it's the east side of Israel, but it's the west bank of the Jordan River. We're coming near the Dead Sea. We've come all the way from up in Galilee. It was odd, surreal, to just be driving on a little bus with 18 people along the West Bank. Because as a kid growing up, I would turn the news on at night and I would hear, great conflict has broken out today along the West Bank. Lots of fighting over the years. And I was like, wow, I'm on the West Bank. This feels weird. We get to this place 
that could have been the place where Jesus was baptized. It's one of the holy sites. When you go to Israel, and I want you to go, I hope you get to visit there. It's a very nice area. All of those holy sites, they turn them into what looks like maybe a state park, only there's no greenery. It's all desert. That day it was 113 degrees. I brought a picture I thought you might want to see. The guy in the blue shirt in the middle is me. The reason I'm standing in the water is because I wanted to put my toe in the Jordan. The other reason is because the water is ice cold. And did I mention it's 113 degrees? And so the Jordan River is very narrow, as you can see. If you look through that little canopy, there's a Jordanian soldier with an automatic weapon. And he's standing there basically saying, don't think about crossing the river. This is a guarded border. But they will let you step into the water. It was pretty powerful to be there, to think that maybe somewhere along there Jesus was baptized. And just across in the background, you can see a church built commemorating the baptism of Jesus. So we come up out of the water, and you can take the picture down if you like. I go into this little um, gift shop. You can buy a gift to commemorate your visit to the Jesus' baptism area. Or they have snacks. They had ice cream bars. 113 degrees, an ice cream bar sounds really good to me. Truth of the matter is that 32 degrees, an ice cream bar sounds really good to me. I love ice cream. Have I ever told you that I love ice cream so much? I felt like when God gave us the Dairy Queen, He just blessed us a little more. Just, you know. And so we're standing around this cashier, female, very kind. Way more kind than maybe anybody I've met in the country. So we engage in this conversation with her. We're asking her all kinds of questions. One of the things I said to her, I said, what's it like, because she was Israeli, what's it like as an Israeli living in the West Bank? So she says, right now, I'm okay. Over the years, though, it's been very difficult because the West Bank is primarily occupied by Palestinians the great enemy of the Israelis. So we visited, we chatted, we really enjoyed it as much as any conversation probably I had in Israel. And finally, our tour director said, we're loading up. And so we're all going to leave and we're standing there and we begin to say goodbye to her. And I thanked her for the conversation. And then I said to her, what you say to people when you say goodbye, shalom. So in Israel, when you say hi to people, you say shalom, meaning peace, of course. But when you say goodbye, you say the same thing, meaning I leave you with peace, shalom. Unless it's the Sabbath and then you say Shabbat shalom. It wasn't the Sabbath. And so I said to her, thank you so much, shalom. And she raises her finger to me and she took me aback. Because she said, maybe someday there will be. It took me a minute. I began to process. I've said to her, peace. And she said, maybe someday there will be. We get in this little bus that we traveled in. And as I'm driving along the road, I can't get her off my mind. And my stare at those mountainous, beautiful desert areas was kind of a blank stare because I'm thinking hard. 
And I realize that she doesn't have the hope that I have. See? See, I believe hope has come. I believe that Jesus is establishing the kingdom of God on earth right now. And I see it breaking out all around me. I see it when somebody surrenders their life to Jesus. I see it when somebody is healed. I see it when families that are all messed up are restored in their relationships with each other. I see it when a life is changed. I see it when Sam stands at the food pantry in Two Lakes and hands a bag of groceries to a family who needs it. And I realize she doesn't have the hope that I have. Her story is not my story because you know what my story is? This is not the way the world was supposed to be. Something has gone terribly wrong. But God has come. (laughs) And He is bringing His peace on earth today. And He's brought it to my heart. And now I don't live with all of this unrest, but I live in the confidence of His peace. I want the world to know this, don't you? That's why I want to bring people with me to Christmas Eve. I want them to find the hope that I found and the hope that you found and the peace that I have and the peace that you have. And I want the cashier at that baptismal site over in Israel, I want her to find that kind of peace and hope. So let's stand together and let's celebrate the peace that Jesus is bringing to our world today. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.